We are in a series uh, here these first few weeks with you called First Things First. And the reason we're in this series is I really just, I just want to unpack for you um, the things that are important to me, the things I see in scripture uh, that I believe the God, that God would have us be focusing on as a church. And, and so we, you know, two weeks, we had missions last week, man, what a great time we had with our missionaries. Uh, just, just wonderful. My first missions weekend with you is just spectacular. I loved it, and I look forward to more. Our next one's July the 10th that weekend, uh, so the 10th, and, the, and then we'll have our global prayer event again as well, uh, so you can mark your calendar for that. I, I know some of you will be on a blessed vacation that week, uh, but those of you that aren't, we'd love to have you with us that, that Sunday and that weekend. Uh, so anyway, uh, the week before that, if you remember, we talked about how to love God, loving God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind, which is the first half of the great, what we call the great commandment. Anybody know what the second half of the great commandment is? Love your neighbor. Not like Mr. Rogers style, but love your neighbor. I should have wore a Mr. Rogers sweater today. I don't know what I was thinking. Love your neighbor. I happen to think that this second half of the great commandment is much more difficult than the first half of the great commandment. It is hard. How many of you know somebody that's hard to love? How many of you are hard to love? I'm going to raise my hand. I'm, I can be a difficult person. Culturally, we are at each other's throats. And now today we have more than one way to be there, don't we? We have more than one way. It used to be we had to say it in a news article or we had to say it to someone's face. Now we can spew hatred and disgusting things all over the place regardless of what the issue is. Love is cheap today. Mercy and compassion is an afterthought or no thought at all. And our culture takes pleasure in other people's failure. Our culture sort of thrives on the disgusting demise of people, particularly of those people that we don't agree with. Come on, pastor, you're speaking some truth. Personal responsibility is a bygone value. Children have become our weapon of choice. And nobody can tell us what is real anymore. And I would say this, and I appreciate you praying for the nation with me, but I would say the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. It's a quote I want to read to you that is kind of depressing, but it's this, light, I'm going to read it anyway, don't be depressed. Light illuminates the darkness. If there's darkness, the blame should be attached to where it belongs, not to the world that is dark, but to the church which is failing to provide the light. If there's rottenness, the blame should be placed where it belongs, not on the world that's rotting, but on the church that isn't salting it enough to stop it from going bad. If there's unfed hunger out there, the blame should be placed where it belongs, not on those who are gobbling up counterfeit spiritualities and fast food pieties, but on the leaven that isn't getting into the dough to make bread for a hungry world. I think that when Jesus came to the earth, that's kind of the situation that he found is very similar, I'd say, to our culture and our life today. He found a world that was searching for answer. What is the song? Searching for love or answers in all the wrong places. 
trying to figure out what to do. And so one day, Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn in your Bible, I'm going to move fairly quickly because we're going to run out of time. Luke chapter 10, then the children's workers will throw stones at me. So (laughs) they won't really, but they'll think about it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood and said to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do, you, how do you read it? Or what does it look like to you? What do you think? And the teacher of the law answered, love your, the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Love God, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll have eternal life. But the teacher of the law wasn't satisfied. He wanted to justify himself. So he said this to Jesus. Well, who's my neighbor? The Bible tells us here the the motive of the guy was to justify himself. He wanted to prove to the world and to Jesus and whomever that he had done a good job. And I think that he kind of felt like, and we can get there too, so don't throw stones at this guy, but we can get there where we feel like, man, I've done a pretty good job at that. You know, I, I, I love people pretty well. I'm kind of nice to most people except for really bad drivers. <laughs> and that's their fault. That's not my fault. He probably puts a little extra money in the benevolence fund, or maybe he gives to the food pantry. Maybe he supports the Red Cross or Convoy of Hope or, God help him, the ASPCA. That was a joke. If you're like, I love animals, I'm not trying to be offensive. And he just kind of is patting himself on the back of all the great things that he's done. And so he's trying to justify. What's he really asking? He's really, he's really asking this. What's the minimum I can do to get by? What's the least I can do, Jesus, to love my neighbor and still make eternal life? See, he was looking at this from a doing perspective. What am I doing to make eternal life? Or what am I doing to love people instead of looking at it and where Jesus would go with us to a condition of his heart? How many of you know that the attitude of your heart matters far more to God than what you actually do? You can write a million-dollar check to the church, and you should. That'd be awesome. Actually, 1.6 million, that'd pay the mortgage off. But if your heart is not moved and motivated by the things of the kingdom, it's as if you gave nothing. Why? Because Jesus isn't so interested in what we do apart from the motivation of our heart. So, well, if you looked at love from a doing perspective, How many of you would like to be in that kind of a marriage where love is only expressed by things we do and not anything in our heart? Or in that kind of a friendship? Have you ever had a friend who took and took and took but gave nothing? I don't know if you'd call him a friend. What if the love of God looked like that to us? What's the minimum I can do to save these knotheads? So Jesus calls his bluff. I love this story. Jesus calls his bluff, and he says this, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, well, there was a guy who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was was attacked by robbers, 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. (laughs) Not three quarters dead or one quarter dead. He was half dead, literally. That was funny. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite came, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. They're like, man, I don't want anything to do with that guy. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him or or had compassion on him. He was moved by this man's condition, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured in oil and wine, disinfectant to clean them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper he said look I'm going to come back and, and, and if you spend more than this when I return I'll pay you for everything we know that story is the good Samaritan Jesus says then to the rich teacher of the law which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers and the guy said gave the right answer the one who had mercy on him Jesus said, go and do likewise. With our culture where it is, I think we need to start this morning. I kind of have two, two sermons, but I'm a, they're both short. They're mini sermons. I think we need to start in the same place that this guy started when he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Now we're coming with a different motive. How many of you really want to know what Jesus meant by that? Man, wouldn't it be great to know how to inherit eternal life? Wouldn't it? I mean, that's what he's asking. Now they're coming from a Jewish perspective, of course. So here's what he says. Who is my neighbor? I want to show you who is our neighbor. If we're going to love our neighbor, who are they? I got three people, three kinds of people. One, entrusted ones are your neighbor. Entrusted ones. So these are people that God has put in your hands to care for and to love. The easiest ones to love is your spouse and your children, usually. Like, I mean, usually they're easy to love. That was funny, too. Man. (laughs) I don't know what to do this morning. But they're entrusted to us. Your spouse and your love for your spouse and your kids is entrusted to you. I think it goes beyond that sometimes in the church. God maybe sends you somebody who's weak or young in their faith and he trusts them to you to disciple and to grow, right? We have to love those people. We have to love the ones that God has put in our hands. And I just, I just want to say it this way. You are all entrusted to me. As the pastor of this church, you're entrusted to me. That is a heavy responsibility. But it's a responsibility nonetheless to love our neighbor, love those who are entrusted to us. The second uh, type of person that we love, and I think this is pretty clear through Scripture, is we love one another. Everybody look around the room. You're supposed to love these people. Right? We might have to have an extended altar call. (laughs) I mean, first a priest came by. The man's beaten. He's laying there half dead. And first a priest comes by. A pastor, a worker in the temple, somebody who should care. And, you know, somebody we would think of would love and would care for this man who was a Jew. And this guy's like, this is his pastor. He should care for this person. They had the same religion. They had the same belief system. They, had, they believed in the same pathway to God. They believed in Yahweh. They worshiped at the temple. I mean, they were like the same simpatico. And the, and the priest passed by on the other side. He said, I don't want anything to do with that guy. He's already half dead anyway. 
Then a Levite came by, and and the implication is that this man uh, who was robbed was a Levite as well, and so they were from the same tribe. They, They believed the same systems. They thought the same way. They believed in the same political ideas. They thought things were, I mean, they they were like, you know, exactly the same in the way that they saw the world. They had the same heritage and the same hopes and the same dreams, but the Levi didn't love this guy. Jesus is very clear. He says to his disciples in John 13 at the Last Supper, a new command I give you, love one another. How? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I mean, I don't know about you. If you've been around the church very long, you realize that sometimes church people are hard to love. But the Lord is pretty clear. He says, look, if you love one another the way I've loved you, By this, all men will know you're my disciples. Can I just say, it's not by the building. It's not by how much you tithe. It's not by how many good works you do. It's not by anything else that defines your discipler, defines where you are on the matrix of being a disciple, but by how you love. That's a thought, isn't it? So I think that begs the question for you and I, how are we loving one another? the overarching mark of a true disciple. First John says it this way, and it, I mean, it just, I just, I mean, he, and John was like the, the, the nice disciple. He wasn't James who yelled at us, right? He was the nice disciple. And he says this, dear friends, he calls us friends, that's nice. Let us continue to love one another for love comes from God and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But if you do not love, you do not know God. I did that for emphasis. I'm trying hard, Mike. If you do not love, you don't even know him. It reminds me of the people on the day of judgment who will stand before God and say, we did and we did and we did and we did. Why were their hearts far from him? Maybe it's because they didn't love one another. It's a huge deal. I think that we can learn to love one another and personalities get in there and different things happen, but that condition of the heart that can that can take place with the Holy Spirit helping us, we can love entrusted ones and we can love one another, uh, we can love each other well. And to be honest with you, as I've been around this church for a very short time, there's a lot of love in this place. There really is. There really is. But I'm not naive to think that there are a few people who attend this church who don't feel that kind of love. And can I, can I just say that let's be the church that loves everybody who walks in our doors? I don't care what they look like or whatever. Can we just love one another really, really well? I'll tell you how to do that in a minute, but I, I want us to just put that in our head. But there's a third group of people that I think is the most challenging, not only for believers, but for anyone. And that's this. We love entrusted ones. We love one another. But then the call of God is also to love those that we don't want to love. A Samaritan comes by. 
And if you know anything about the history of Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. They didn't like each other. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Jewish, but they were also mixed with the blood of all these other nations of the world going back to Babylon, and they just were a mess. They're the old kingdom of Israel. Samaria was where the Israelite kings lived, and they were just wicked. If you read the book of Kings, and it's wicked king after wicked king after wicked king for, for uh, Israel. Judah was sort of the remnant, you know, and most of the time they had a good king, and all these things created enmity. If you read the story in Luke 4 about Jesus and the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. And and she says, why are you talking to me, a Samaritan woman? I've heard preachers say it's because that the men shouldn't talk to the women. It was much more that a Jew shouldn't talk to a Samaritan. They didn't have anything to do with each other. In fact, what what did she say? It's okay, Jesus, for the dogs to eat the crumbs at the master's table. She's being subservient to the Jews. There was hatred between these two groups of people. How many people in your life are difficult to love because they're on opposite sides of the aisle? Because they hold differing viewpoints of politics or the world? Dare I say, Abortion. We're facing it right now, aren't we? It's a major issue in our lives. Jesus, I would say, you want to step further in another place. Not only uh, does, he, does he make this example of a Samaritan loving somebody that had, he had no business to love or caring for them in that way, but Jesus even goes further and he says, hey, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love the people that want to destroy you and hate you, the people that have hurt you and abandoned you and abused you and affected you. Here's what I've learned in my own life and as well as other lives. That's almost a step too far. Hey, I can love the outcast and the addicted and you know the homeless. I can love the, the homosexual community. I can love those people. Man, that's no problem. But don't you dare ask me to love a Republican. Seriously. Don't you dare ask me to control what I post on social media. Guys, this is real. Jesus is saying, look, we've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've got to care about people that we disagree with. Jesus said, love your enemies. And by the way, proceeded to demonstrate on the cross what that might look like. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And and what he's saying is, I hold nothing against you for nailing me to the cross. And I get mad when bad drivers cut me off on 465. Thank God most of you don't have to drive 465. That's a different story. It's a major issue in our culture, and we need to rise above the rhetoric. The Christians, the the followers of Jesus need to rise above the rhetoric, and we need to be the first ones who put down our political and ideological weapons in favor of an everlasting love that we first received. We need to be the first ones. I'll tell you what I don't mean in a minute. It's disheartening. To listen to the rhetoric and hear what people say. And then I'll just be honest, I'll just be super transparent with you. I used to be one of those guys. I love posting stuff. And it was never a secret. 
where I stood with anything. And I caused pain in some people's lives. Some people I just made angry. Can I tell you what I didn't do? I didn't open the gospel to people who disagreed with me by doing that. And a year, yeah, I don't know, two years ago, whatever, I just got off completely for about a year. And I said, you know, because social, I don't know why, I don't know what it is about social media, but it just brings out the best in us. <laughs> and I just decided it's just not worth the pain. It's not worth uh, harming, potentially harming the kingdom of God and the gospel because I think this about masks or this about COVID or this about BLM or this about whatever. Who, it, I don't, who cares? You know what matters? The love of God. That's what I concluded. Now, there's a couple of caveats, but I'll get there in a minute. Because some of you are like, I don't know if I like this guy anymore. So the distinction here is this. We are talking about, when we talk about loving those that are unlovable, we are talking about loving the addicted and the broken and the poor in spirit and the imprisoned and those people that have no hope and have no voice. We're, we're talking about loving all those people, the outcasts. We're talking about all of that. But make no mistake, Jesus is also talking about loving those that we, don't just, we just don't want to love. Like the Romans. Or like this Samaritan loved this Jew. We love entrusted ones. We love one another and we love those we don't want to love, how do we do it? I really think there's only three ways to love. Three ways. One is this, we love with Christ-like mercy. Can I say that again? We love with Christ-like mercy. We love with Christ-like mercy. Look what uh, Jesus says in Luke 10, but the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, he had mercy on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured in the oil and wine. I mean, he took compassion and pity on this wounded and broken man that he should have hated by all accounts. But he loved him with mercy, mercy and compassion. It's easy to condemn, isn't it? It's easy to pronounce judgment or trying to meme people into heaven. Can I just say that our political ideologies and the things that we post on social media, no matter which side you land on, those, are not the, that, those things do not cover a multitude of sins, but you know what does? Love. Good preaching, Pastor Jeff. I know, I get it. Sorry, not sorry. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins, not winning an argument. Love breaks down walls and barriers. Love destroys the work of the enemy, which maybe we should start remembering we don't wrestle against flesh and blood just a little bit more frequently. Love with truth sets people free. But if you absent truth from love or love from truth, you're lost. You have to have both. And telling the truth is not necessarily love. You have to have both. You have to have compassion and mercy and love in order to tell the truth in a way that people hear what you say. Here's how you know. If people get mad at you on Facebook, you didn't say it with love. It may be true, but you didn't say it with love. 
If your friend gets angry every time you talk about morality or God or the kingdom or whatever, and they just get mad at you and mad at you and mad at you, you're probably messing up not saying it with love. Bring them a Starbucks. Get them a birthday card. I mean, I'm just saying love people. Love with mercy. Love gives people a chance. Love presents the gospel. Number two, we've got to love people with Christ-like mercy. Second, we've got to love them with Christ-like longevity. Christ-like longevity. I mean, aren't you glad the patience God has shown towards you? I mean, like, I'm an idiot sometimes, right? How many of you can relate? Malcolm can relate, I could tell. He laughs. As soon as I said that, he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. But God is patient with us, right? He's patient. And can I just say, he's patient with all those people that you don't like and that you disagree with and you're mad at and you get frustrated with, blah, 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 blah. He's patient with them too. So maybe we should have some longevity in our love like God does. But aren't you glad that when Peter uh, tried to uh, talk Jesus out of going to the cross and Jesus called him Satan? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, well, that's all I can do for you, buddy. You're on your own. How many times in your life could God have said, that's all I can do for you. You're on your own. I can't help you anymore. How many times could he have said that? But he doesn't. He keeps with mercy and with longevity loving us. And I'll just remind you what Jesus said. Love one another as I have loved you. Love with Christ-like longevity. Sometimes you have to love for a long time in the same direction before there's reciprocation or fruit. I think that we can wrap our head around loving an unsaved person or a total pagan, and we can kind of walk with them and love them over the years and over the time or whatever, but when it comes to loving and walking with an immature believer who's just stupid and won't help themselves, that's hard. I mean, it's nobody in here, but that's hard. It's hard to love an immature believer. It's more difficult to do that than it is to love a total pagan. Why? Because they should know better. Can't you read the Bible? I mean, come on, you've had these conversations with somebody in your life, right? Or someone's had them with you. Maybe both. So I'm just saying that if we're going to love people with longevity, it's not just the pagans, but it's those people that God has has put around us to love them towards maturity and becoming men and women of God. People coming to Jesus or people becoming mature in their faith takes years. But love is patient. Isn't that like the first thing in the Petra song? Come on, Petra, nobody? Me and Michael. Love is patient. It's the first thing. Love is longevity. Love is patient for people as we love them. And the last thing is this. We love with mercy. We love with longevity. And we love with Christ-like sacrifice. We love with Christ-like sacrifice. Verse 35 says this. The next day he took the he took out two denarii. at the inn now. Took out the denarii. Gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for the extra expense that you might have. He sacrificed his time. I don't know where he was going. I don't know what his trip was, but he abandoned it. He abandoned his trip. He changed his plans. He spent his own money to love this man. God loved us with such mercy and such patience 
But ultimately, he loved us with the greatest sacrifice of all, the sending his only son to die. He demonstrated his love for us. God's big ask of us is to love other people, even those pesky, unlovable people, even those difficult people, even those people that we would disagree with until we go to heaven with the same kind of sacrificial love. Love them. All right, how? Those were philosophical hows. What's a how? Well, the way that I look at it is this. We just need to remove barriers. So how many of you know what this is? Can you see it? Oh, well, it's communion. This is the blood and the body. Well, it's not literally, but it's the emblems of the blood and the body of Christ. I like communion. Jesus said we should do communion, right? We're going to do communion in June. Praise the Lord. We have it available every Sunday if you want to take communion. Why? Because if you will, this is the gospel, right? The blood of Jesus shed for our sins that we might be saved. That's the gospel. The body of Jesus put, broken, put in a tomb, and raised back to life. This is the gospel. Am I right? This is what, through love, we want to give to people. We want to invest in people, the gospel. We want them to see the gospel. The problem is, oftentimes in our life, we come up with something like opinions. Anybody have opinions? I got opinions. And if we're not careful, if we don't come at it with love first, if we don't come at it with kingdom love, where we're going to care and we're going to have compassion, we take our opinions and we cover the gospel. And now people can't see the gospel because of our opinions. That's not an opaque thing. I mean, it's not a transparent thing. It's an opaque thing. And if we're not careful, it's not your opinions. For some of you, it's your need to matter. You need to matter. You need people to know who you are and what you think and where you land. And we cover the gospel. I got some more. Useless arguments. That's one of my favorites. You ever met somebody who would argue a point just to argue the point? Don't look at anybody. <laughs> you know that useless arguments cover the gospel? People can't see it because we're arguing about nonsense? Pet peeves. I think I spelled peeves right. Pet peeves. You know, like, man, I can't, I can't tell you the gospel because I'm so whatever about these things. Whatever it would be, your pet peeves can cover the gospel. I'm going to speed it up. Oh, social media. Do you know that you can post all kinds of stuff on social media and you can absolutely cover the gospel and even deter people from having anything to do with Jesus because of something you write or some picture you share or some meme you post? Can I ask you to be wise? Can I ask you to be careful? Can I tell you how many times I write something and delete it? Because I want to say it. But I know it'll hurt the gospel. I don't want to hurt the gospel. We cover it. Maybe for you it's selfish ambition. You're running after and chasing after your own thing, and it's the kingdom not, is not first in your life, and you're running after it, and people see it, people know it, and it deters them. Well, if that's what Christianity is like, if that's what Christians are like, I don't want anything to do with that. Maybe it's your need to be right. 
Some of you wives are elbowing your husband right now. Some of you husbands are elbowing your wives right now. You need to be right. And we cover the gospel. Or maybe it's politics. I, do I need to say more about that? We better be careful. You are not an American Christian. You are a Christian. You better be careful. You, okay. <laughs> this one I think is huge. Cultural outrage. Aren't we seeing this in the last two weeks? We have cultural out outrage on both sides of this abortion debate. And, and look, I believe life begins at conception. I believe in Psalm 139. I think it's real hard to disprove that God has thoughts and prayers and ideas and plans for babies before they're born. It's awfully hard to disprove that. It's awfully hard to go the other direction. But you know what? I'm not going to let these things and politics get in the way of me loving you. And I hope you won't get it in the way of you loving me. You know why? If you're a believer and you're on the other side of that debate, here's what I, here's what I know. I don't need to talk you into it because the Holy Spirit is smarter than me. And whatever the Holy Spirit is able to speak to your heart and deal with you and talk to you and help you and walk with you and walk with me, maybe loving one another is trusting the work of the Holy Spirit in each other's lives. Maybe that's part of the deal, right? Now, does that mean we should never stand up for morality? Uh-uh, I ain't saying that. I shouldn't have said ain't. I'm sorry, you professors. It doesn't mean we should never... We should never stand up for things that are moral, things that are biblical. But I think we have to be careful that we don't die on every hill. Because if we die on every hill, we don't die at the cross. Love your neighbor doesn't mean we bow to immorality or cultural things contrary to God's word. It does mean that we can't condemn when sinners act like sinners. We have to lovingly restore one another and trust the Holy Spirit when sin or wrong thinking or cultural things get in the way. That's love. Love is bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things. Isn't that love? That's our call to love our neighbor, to love entrusted ones, to love one another and to love those that are unlovable or we don't want to love. That's our call. So the question for you and me is, how are we doing with that? Are we loving well or are we missing the mark? Jesus, thank you for this story that you told to answer a guy's question. God, right now in our culture, we have all kinds of barriers to the gospel and if we as your people fall into those debates and fall into those ideologies and fall in and fall prey, God, to the arguments, not the necessarily the moral ideas, God, but fall into the argument and, and the difficulty of it, God, if we allow ourselves to go there instead of uncovering the gospel and keeping it unadulterated and pure and true so that people can see your gospel through our love. Father, if we don't do that, we've missed this.
See, the enemy of our soul already does a great job blinding the eyes of those who don't believe so that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ doesn't shine to them. He already does a great job with that. Can I just say, let's not help him? Let's be careful that we love well. Heads bowed and eyes closed, and I, I just want to ask you with, with me to examine your heart right now. Would you examine your heart wherever you are, the balcony, in the floor, at home? Would you examine your heart? Are you loving and trusted ones? Yep, sometimes Jeff messes up and I have to ask forgiveness. But I love well. You loving them well. What about people in your church or other believers, people that think the same and believe the same and walk the same as you? Are you loving well? Are you loving with mercy? Are you loving with longevity? Those immature believers, are you loving with his sacrifice? Last, are you loving those people you don't want to love? Will you let God soften your heart for people on the other side of your ideologies and your belief system and your thought processes? I want to. I want God to continue that work in me. I want to be able to love the people in West Lafayette that I would struggle with their politics, but I want to love them. I want to love the LGBTQ community around here. And not just because I have to and I'm a Christian, I want to deeply feel it in my soul. I love them. I want to love the politicians that push things that I disagree with. And frankly, call me names. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're with me, if you're like, man, I want to do that too, and I want to do that better than I'm doing it, I want you to stand to your feet all over the room. Come on, everybody. I want to ask Jesus to help us love well. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? and ask him right now to help you. God, would you help us love well? Lord, love those that are entrusted to us. Love those that are of different cultures and different thought processes and different mindsets, different ideals, different, different political leanings, God, different strategy, whatever. God, would you help us love them well? Help us to love each other well. God, love these believers who we're doing life with. God, may we love them well. May we love them sacrificially, God. May we love them with compassion and with mercy. May we love them for the long haul. May we not give up on one another. Let us love. So Jesus, wherever, and I want you to pray this prayer, but God, wherever in my heart I need softened, I need you to transform, would you do that work in Jesus' name? Would you tell the Lord that? And then release the Holy Spirit to begin that good work in you. He'll be faithful. He'll be faithful. Remember, I'm not saying we bow to the knee at culture or at ungodly things or immoral things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying 
we first come at it with love. We first come at it with love. I'll remind you what Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. What he's saying is, I'm just annoying. No offense to the drummer. If I have all the gifts and I have all the knowledge and I understand everything about God, but I don't have love, I have nothing. So God, fill us with your love that covers a multitude of sins. And let us be your instrument of love to West Lafayette and Lafayette in Tippecanoe County and everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.